Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. One, two, three. They all come from the unknown north. Talent and drive and a pride worth paying for. But just because they're above the 49 parallel, it doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate them just as well. So give it up to these Canucks, because our self-promotion sucks. And if they all went away, we sure would miss them. Canadian Star System. Hello and welcome back to the Canadian Star System, a podcast where we speak with some of Canada's most talented people and try to figure out what makes them so good and what makes Canada so bad at celebrating our own. Each episode, our stars not only shine, but also shine their spotlight on another Canadian talent who they believe the rest of us should know more about. I'm your host, Steve Patterson, and yes, I am older than I sound. But enough about me, let me introduce you to my producer and co-host who looks and sounds so young, she'll likely be ID'd the next time she heads to the bingo hall, which will be as soon as she can. It's Diana Francis. Hi, Diana. Hi, Steve. Okay, who told you I play bingo? No one had to tell me, Diana. (laughs) I just knew. You also, you work in Canadian entertainment, so Mm -hmm. I took a shot. Am I wrong? Uh, No, no, no. But, um, you know, I like the old school, old lady uh, games like bingo, but I like more modern games too. What about cribbage? Do you like cribbage? I was taught how to play crib once and then instantly forgot. Good story, hey? Well, you're really helping me today. Uh, You're really expanding on my ideas. Yeah, but I do enjoy the old school Monopoly. That's probably my favorite, not going to lie. There's new ones, but really, once you play Monopoly once and you're teaching everyone in your family about greed and refinancing, I think that it's done its work. I was talking retro a little bit today because retro stuff is coming back. That's its job. And I want to ask you as my producer, Mm. 
should we up our game and put this podcast on vinyl or maybe possibly a cassette tape? Oh, that is a really good question, but a really Thank bad you. idea. Why is it a bad idea? That's the cool that's the cool thing to do. Vinyl, people are collecting vinyl again, and logically that means cassette tapes are going to make a comeback. Let's go straight to 8 tracks. Right right back. Yeah. 8 track cuz then you get to sell whole new machines too. Mm-hmm. I like that. And new vehicles. That's right. The new F-150, all electric and an eight track player. I like it. (laughs) Let's get to our guests today because our guests are very much part of Canada's present and future in music, but their sound could just as easily be transported back four or five decades or up four or five decades. People would still love to listen to their music and flock to their concerts because they make everywhere feel like downtown. They're all about feeling good. And while these song title based puns I know are testing your affection for me, I just want you to know that I will keep on loving you. (laughs) They are hardworking while still very laid back. They are hard rocking, but they're hairy in a cool sort of way. Not like the guy at the beach who takes off his shirt and looks like he's still wearing a sweater. And if they were animals, they would be the personification of their band name. They are... The Sheepdogs, ladies and gentlemen. The Sheepdogs. Hello. There's one Sheepdog. That's Ryan. And there's Ewan Curry. (laughs) Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Diana said we had a chance to maybe talk to you, and I thought she was kidding. I'm fanning out here. You guys have no way of knowing this, but I was at the Grey Cup in 2013 when you guys played halftime, when the Riders won the Grey Cup in Saskatchewan. So I had been hanging out with Brent Budd in Ryderville. Then the Riders won the Grey Cup. They were already going to win at halftime. You could tell. Then you guys came out at halftime. Everyone in the stadium erupted. I I mean, cut to the chase. Then my first child was born. You guys helped me conceive uh, my oldest daughter. So first of all, without a thank you. Thank you for that. You're welcome. That's a very big highlight in your band from Saskatchewan or anyone from Saskatchewan. You get to play on the field and be part of a Grey Cup winning and then you and I actually ended up getting to go on, like rushing the field with the team and got championship hats. So it's, it doesn't get much better than that when you're from Saskatchewan, for sure. No, that was amazing. And it was like, it was minus 29 or something at game time, but you guys just rocked out. Was that the coldest, the coldest show you've had to do? It's up there. We, we played, uh, I don't know. I swear, anytime there's like a cold outdoor show, like our agent gets the call. <laughs> Get the we played dogs. like the Winter Classic in Regina. We played, you know, the Grey Cup. We even did like a New Year's in uh, Brampton a few years back that was horrible. Like it was, we basically figured out what's the minimum time we can play to still get paid. And then we were just like, like brutally, yeah. like, I was wearing a every, winter coat. Was, there was like a huge cold snap. <laughs> and I think every other New Year's event got canceled across Canada, except for ours in Brampton. So part of being a Canadian band is that you sign up for these events and we just have no qualms about being outside at all times and pride ourselves on being able to be out partying in the cold as a band holding onto, you know, wood and metal strings and things like that. Not ideal in sub-zero temperatures, but part of being a Canadian band, it's a big part of it. So, you know, we've been there with that. Grey Cup was the, it was colder the night before when we did our sound check. I mean, I think it was minus 38 or something like that. And our equipment didn't even work. It was so cold. So we were thankful it was slightly warmer than it was the night before. By equipment, you're talking about your musical instruments, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. All Just right, Diana. Just checking. Just checking. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah so let's yeah. go back to conception. I conceived a child. We did it inside though. I will admit that. You guys look like, and it, 
I, I want to hear the origin story of how you got together because I think you guys go back further than a lot of people know that you've been a band for longer than people know. You look like you emerged from one rock and roll mother. You look like you emerged <laughs> as a band with tiny little beards. And I know there are brothers in the band, but how far is the original origin story? Do you guys even remember life without each other? Because it just seems like you you've kind of, you arrived fully formed as the Sheepdogs. <laughs> yeah, it's 17 years this year that we've that we started. We were 19. Ryan, Sam, and I started playing together in uh, Sam's parents' basement on 10th Street, just off of Broadway in Saskatoon. And we had no experience. We'd never been in a band before. Like, you know, usually like kids play in like punk bands and stuff. We were just like, all right, let's start a band. And we had no idea what we were doing. And basically just we took all these little tiny steps to get to where we are now. I can't believe it's been 17. Like our entire adult life has been in the sheepdogs. You know? We're two years shy of being in this band longer than we haven't in our lives, right? Because we started <laughs> it when we were 19. So, I mean, it's a pretty wild thing. And it's wild to know, like, I mean, we started the band, you and I, you and had a, a breakup. And I lost, this is going to date, this is going to really tell you the year that we were 19, but I lost <laughs> my job at Blockbuster Video. <laughs> we had we had this moment where we just kind of wanted to do something different. I think like being a 19-year-old and being in a place like Saskatoon, you maybe have these aspirations of like traveling and doing different things, but sometimes you maybe feel like that maybe isn't as available to you. So we're like, let's just try something different and mix it up and see if we can kind of change the direction in which our life is going now, like you had said, many small steps and many, many years later, we kind of got to that point. But when we started literally from square one and sort of built it up from that. Listening to your music, it transports to a different time. It feels like it's from the classic 70s. You guys could be on a bill with the Guess Who, with, with Skinner, <laughs> with Zeppelin, and it would be like, yeah, of course. Where does that sound come from, given that you know, and it's your own sound, but it has that classic timeless dimension to it that is older than you guys are. How did you come up with that? <laughs> well, it's basically we just played the music that we like listening to. So in 2004, when we started the band, you know, we're like partying and drinking beers and listening to Zeppelin and Credence and the Kinks and the Beatles and Stones. And then we go to a bar to see a live band and they'd be doing like ska punk covers <laughs> whether it be like an emo band or a metal band just wasn't the music that we wanted to party to or, or listen to and, and we liked some of the new bands you know at the time the black keys and the kings of leon were pretty young and fresh and and we're kind of doing some old meet new meets new kind of vibes and so we kind of decided we'd throw our hat in that ring it was also like a big indie rock time like the early 2000s was like a big time for lots of like every guitar was like a jagged telecaster and <laughs> a member that played just a just a tom at the front of the stage floor tom like the floor arcade tom. fire a big yeah yeah so we just basically it's like literally like i guess like a market inefficiency or something where we were like <laughs> well we don't see the thing that we like in our i mean keep in mind we're in saskatoon we're not in uh in toronto uh, or montreal or something like that and there just weren't bands around doing the kind of stuff we like so we're like well, well we'll do it let's talk about saskatoon a bit let's jump to that because i've been there a number of times i have to say the broadway theater in saskatoon is one of my favorite venues anywhere in the country to perform oh fantastic and nice. kirby that runs that venue yeah. is so supportive and so good to artists you come through there and you feel like you're so appreciated to be out there and every show that i've done and i'm not a musician i'm a comedian but the audiences are just so appreciative out there and there's an inc this incredible scene 
in Saskatoon that you can't really explain to someone unless you go there. And I know that's a big part of you guys and bringing that with you wherever you go. So let's talk a little bit about Saskatoon. Ryan, I know that one of the big things that I that I knew about you guys coming up was that the Junos were supposed to be in Saskatoon before all these <laughs> the shutdown started. It was yeah. going to be a big seminal moment. And it was literally right at the outset of lockdowns that they had to not do the, the live Junos. And you guys were going to be a huge part of that. That was a, a, a terrible thing. We were really excited to have, uh, you know, all our music friends and, and people in the industry and musicians all coming to our hometown and take them around. We love our hometown. We love, you know, people to see those pieces that maybe you wouldn't see if you're just downtown at your hotel or whatever. And we were excited for that. We're going to do like a pub crawl where we went to a bunch <laughs> of like off the beaten path bars with all our friends and stuff. Funny you'd mentioned Kirby. I mean, Kirby's a really good example. I mean, growing up in Saskatoon, you know, a lot of times when concerts or comedians or really anything happened, it was like Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, and they'd always skip over Saskatoon. And there was a long time if you just wanted to go see a concert or you wanted to go see some sort of event, you didn't get to see that in Saskatoon. And so the people like Kirby is a really good example where in the last, you know, 20, 15, 20 years, they've really made a big push to really try to like increase that. And so they're encouraging acts to come and, and trying to like have really good hospitality and things like that. And as a result, you know, Saskatoon people are very excited to have these events and are very supportive because for a long time, we didn't get to have those as much just for whatever reason, probably population size. But being a band coming up in a city like that, it's a very supportive community. I mean, that sort of goes across the board. Starting out, it gave us an opportunity to play on stages in front of people before it, I shouldn't say before it mattered, but before it mattered, like as in we were like in a new city playing in front of people or maybe somebody from a label or a manager or an agent or something was coming to see us or just people, you know, heard about our band. So we were able to sort of cut our teeth a little bit out of the gate and kind of get that support to really have people come and support us. And there was a lot of people that just would support live music in that community. And so there's a really great you know scene for that there. Even if we were playing a bill with a ska band and a metal band, like all those people <laughs> were kind of, you know, community in and around that. So, you know, Sesti has really grown in that, in that regard. And there's, you know, it's a great place. It's a lot of memories for people in bands coming through and playing places like Amigos and uh, Lydia's, which, you know, is no longer a place, but a lot of these places, that's like a, a rite of passage to when you go across the country to come play in Saskatoon. But for us, it was, you know, part of how we were initially exposed to music too. Ewan, any Saskatoon stories for us? I have many. Uh, it just depends on where, what avenue you want to go down. <laughs> it was good to us. I think we spent a lot of time lamenting the distance from big centers like Toronto. And that's where, certainly where we spent a lot of time driving to. But there were like lots of places that we could go and play and learn comfortably without sort of maybe some of the pressures of a big scene. And there's like a lot of folks in Saskatoon. I mean, it's a smaller city, but there's a lot of arts minded folks, not just musicians, but, you know, visual artists. Like every time I go back, I always buy some pottery because there's a lot of potters there. It's sort of an understated thing. It's not necessarily known for its artsiness, but there's a surprising amount of it there. And I think probably some of that comes from the fact that it is one of the probably the few places that it's still affordable to, you know, for people to have a career as an artist and and be able to do that. Whereas a lot of places now in Canada, it's very challenging. Well, I don't know if it still is, but it certainly was Saskaboom. It was the largest <laughs> growing center in Canada for a while. For that reason, it's affordable. It's got everything you need in a city. And I love to hear that you go back and get local made artisan pottery in case we needed any further proof that this is the Renaissance rock and roll band that I'm talking to. We give them a plug to the local pottery scene. I have the taste of like a 75-year-old 
person. So, (laughs) (laughs) but that that soul and that heart comes out in in the music. And let's skip ahead or skip back. I guess I'm talking about the origins of the band. But 2011 comes along. There's a competition being held by Rolling Stone magazine to feature a band on a cover. You guys decide to enter that contest. And then you go ahead and win that contest and you're on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. What was that like? And take us back through that because that really, you didn't just get onto the music map. You got to the the center of the music map all of the sudden. <laughs> well, I mean, that was the thing. I mean, at that point, we had been a band for seven years. We spent countless, countless times traveling across the country, driving to and from Toronto and Vancouver and dipping down to the States where we could and and just trying to like get the word out there. But, you know, like a lot of bands and a lot of anybody trying to kind of start a, especially a creative endeavor, there was a lot of roadblocks just like felt like we were spinning our tires in a lot of ways. And then, yeah, we literally one day, like, it's not something we entered. It was literally, we got a phone call that said like, Hey, would you like to be part of this thing? We discovered your band and we are doing this competition for the best unsigned bands in North America. And we'd like to include you in this. And we're the only Canadian band that had been selected for that. So it was, it was like, it wasn't something we sort of applied for or whatever, but it just kind of came to us. And so being that we'd been spinning our tires as much as we had, and we really wanted an opportunity to try to like put ourselves out there. I mean, we jumped at the opportunity and enjoying this thing, which kind of be, became a bit of a crazy sort of circus, uh, you know, change in our, in our life because it went from us traveling around in a van, trying to get people to come to shows to like flying to New York to take part in competitions with against other bands and being on late night TV and then flying back to Canada and doing festival shows like all across the country and, and getting our song on the radio. And, and, you know, a lot of these things that we were trying so hard to get suddenly became possible because there was this spotlight put on us. And then in the end, we ended up winning this thing and became the, the first unsigned band on the cover of Rolling Stone, which a wild, wild experience. I mean, it's one of those things where part of you is like, this is incredible. Another part of you is like, okay, like what now? I mean, that's such a, you know, that for a lot of people, that's like something that comes to them, you know, through the things they do. And we felt very much like, okay, now we need to prove ourselves that we're not just the band that won a competition. So, so much of sort of what's transpired since then is us sort of wanting to continue moving things forward because it's like certainly we couldn't just like put our feet up and hang our hats on the fact that we had that accomplishment and we wanted to use it as a launching point to like build a career and you know now we're coming up on that that was 10 years ago we're still here and still going so we're we're thankful that we've been able to kind of parlay that into uh into more of a career and and, and take advantage of something like that it's ironic that uh you were the did you say you were the only canadian band that was mm-hmm. part of the competition yeah. And I love that you won. And it's sort of the epitome of what we're going for with this Canadian star system, because it's so frustrating when a Canadian artist has to get recognized in the States in order to be appreciated back in our own country. And that's kind of exactly what happened to you guys. Yeah, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's funny because there's so many examples of that. There's also a lot of examples where people will never get the recognition in America and, and make a name for themselves here, too. It's you know, it's a, it's a complicated thing. I think we, we have like a, like a lot of places, there is always that obsession with America and American pop culture. So, you know, when someone can inject themselves somewhat into that, it definitely makes people pay attention. The funny thing about it though, is that what kind of brought it all together for us was the fact that we were the only Canadian band. There was a certain like patriotic duty to really you know, promote <laughs> it. I mean, we, 
we really benefited from that fact that we had an entire country. So in a lot of ways, we probably did better in that competition because of how much support we got from Canada and probably wouldn't have done as well had we not sort of had the backing of an entire country. So in a weird way, like we were able to get that because of Canada, not sort of that getting us, you know, Canadian support or something right. like that. That's a very interesting way to put it. And I had no idea that you were contacted to be in the contest. I thought that you guys kind of reached out, but it doesn't really matter because you, you entered into this competition. And I guess there's music you don't think of as a formal competition, but it very much is. And you've done just what you just said is that it, that could have been the be all and end all. That's that's what you know. A lot of artists are just aiming to get to get that list of recognition, and then they coast. And you guys sort of set it as a new starting point, and you've backed it up absolutely. And now you tour when when touring's a thing. You tour all around, uh, not just Canada but around the world. I noticed on your website that when things kick back up, and they will in 2022, you guys are off to uh, Europe and the UK to start your tour, which used to be the same thing, Europe and the UK. And now, now those are two different <laughs> things. When you guys are doing shows in other countries, do you see a lot of Canadians coming out? Do they make themselves known to you guys? I know that often happens with Canadians abroad. Or do you not really notice that sort of thing? You're just whoever likes the music likes the music. There's sometimes Canadians there. It's the only time you'd really see like a significant proportion of the crowd be Canadian is like if it was a border town, you know, maybe like a Detroit. You'll certainly see the odd guy wearing a rider jersey in Amsterdam or something like that, <laughs> which is always kind of like, does he live here or did he vacation with a jersey? Uh, you know, what the, what's going on there? When we go and play in Spain, it's Spanish people or, you know, it's the people of that place. And a lot of times they don't speak the language and they're singing your songs back to you, which is a real trip. Because like you write these little songs and you're like a lot of our early songs, I wrote them in my mom's basement or whatever you just like assume that nobody will ever hear them and then some impassioned crowd of you know feisty germans are singing it back to you and you're like wow this is like legit people actually care about this stuff you have to be careful with impassioned crowds of feisty germans i'm glad it's yeah. in a good way for yeah. you guys you know what's weird i used to play bass for uh impassioned germans Oh, God, Diana, oh. come on. Are we going to let that out here? That's a private musician joke. <laughs> now, you tour so much. So this past year, when that wasn't an option, had to be what's been hard for everyone, but had to be particularly hard for you guys. You're such road warriors, but you found a project to keep you guys going within this pandemic, and you just released your EP that was made during the pandemic in Montreal, which was kind of the only opportunity you guys had to get together. Can you talk about how that happened? Sure. I mean, we, uh, our first show back that we played together after being apart for many, many, many months was playing Canada Day. We we're supposed to play on Capitol Hill. Obviously that got canceled and got moved to a live stream. So we ended up in Montreal performing some songs on a TV performance that was live from a studio or not live, pre-taped from a studio. So we found ourselves in Montreal for the first time in many months. I mean, that give context. I mean, we've been a band, like we mentioned before, 17 years. That was the longest we'd ever been apart, not, you know, recording music, playing music, doing some sort of music thing together. So we want to take advantage of that opportunity. So we went into a studio called Mix Art Studios in Montreal and recorded these songs, took advantage of the fact that we were all in the same city, got together and, and in the same room, not a Zoom album or something like that, which is pretty amazing. Haven't been so apart for so long. I love that you're talking about not just being in the same room and not trying to do it remotely from different places, but you actually recorded to tape 
that's what I was sort of <laughs> alluding to out of the top of the show is you, instead of using all the digital technology, you recorded two tape, which many of today's bands would, wouldn't even think to do. There was a, a great quote, I think, that Ooh had said. This is such a perfectly Canadian quote. Digital recording is regular season. Recording to tape is the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this band is Canadian. No further questions, Your Honor. Why is recording to tape so much more challenging or the way that you guys prefer? One of the, I guess, advantages of digital is like you could fix everything. You can like slide notes around. You can like pitch correct right. singing and, and all kinds of stuff. So it's very forgiving. When you record to tape, there's much less in the way of editing and fixing things. You can like splice like two full takes together or something like that. But for the most part, you're living with a live performance. And so you have to all play together and you got to kind of be like, <laughs> you don't want to like, you'll sometimes you'll finish a take and you'd be like, well, that was great for me. And someone else is like, ah, I screwed up a bunch and you just want to murder that person. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like a lot of pressure. That's, I guess, what I was getting at with the playoff thing. I don't know. I find it interesting, like in sports, you know, certain players put up massive stats in the regular season and the playoff pressure turns on and they disappear or, you know, their quality of output drops precipitously. And that's kind of what it's like when that red light's on and you know that you've got to do a full take and you got to like not let your buddies down. It's kind of like that pressure is what's happening. And it's good because it puts you on your game. It makes you think about the live performance and, and, and that sort of thing. I don't think every band's cut out to do it. And probably a younger version of the Sheepdogs wouldn't be cut out to do it, especially in the early days. It's also good because it keeps you from overthinking. Because like when you can edit everything, you start to like try to make everything perfect and you smooth it out. It's like all of a sudden you're kind of losing all these like happy accidents and like things that just occur. And a lot of the magic that's in music is just kind of like, oh, that just happened. It's not like you can't plan for everything. And I think that's sort of like what, you know, comes out of a lot of live performances and which maybe sometimes gets lost in the recording process because it's not that sort of, I mean, so much of music is literally playing together. So when you don't have people playing together, they, they take something, something's like in, inadvertently happens when people are all playing together that doesn't happen necessarily when you have people playing parts separately or changing apart later. And so, you know, we definitely wanted to kind of because so much of what we do is live, we want to replicate that as much as possible on record in some ways as well. And the previous record we had done in parts and over a long period of time, and this we did over, you know, only a handful of days sort of thing and all of us in the same room. And then there is something that comes from like two people in the same room playing guitars together or like a bass player and a drummer playing together. And there's like a push and pull that happens. And, and we even noticed that recording our previous record and we did a couple of the songs sort of more live things just sound better for some reason. It's just kind of a, a, a bizarre sort of thing. But I guess that being that, you know, music is better when played in a lot of ways, when played together and it becomes like a, a, a shared experience. And, you know, like, you know, you and sort of alluded to when you are trying to, the same with the show, when you're all sort of in it together and you're trying to like get it right, there is a certain pressure. And with that pressure probably also comes like some people are more apt to deliver on what they do. So it, it's a, it's a really a unique experience. And it's not something that we've done with everything we've done, but it really changed, I think, the shape of what we put out just most recently. It's just so genuine and so real. And that's that's what draws people to you is that they don't have to rely on any tricks. When you go to a concert, you know that the live songs are going to sound live and you know that they can go anywhere. That's what you kind of miss from, you know, I think we all miss live music performances right now, but especially a band 
like yours that can get on a jam and just take you somewhere within that within that song that you know you you haven't heard before and i imagine that every time you guys play it's consistent but it's there's a little something different in every live performance and i don't even know who it was but i saw there was an artist and they they said they had to cancel a tour date because one of their big screens was broken or <laughs> they couldn't do a music oh, yeah. concert because one of their screens was broken and i thought there's a person i will never go see live so thanks <laughs> i remember being at a uh, some sort of like Canadian Music Week event in like 2011, and that that band Stereos was playing, and they their auto or their like tune effect wasn't working, so they just stopped playing the set. They have some kind of like tuner. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna be crushing anyone's dreams by dishing the dirt on Stereos. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Stereos, it's come at me. It, it is so funny because like there's certain bands that just need their need equipment and need long sound checks and even at the level we're at every once in a while we get thrown into a situation where you just got to hop up and play and because we've had so many years of just kind of like taking whatever gets thrown at us and making you know but some people can't get out of that bubble and need that sort of like need the, the things to support them in order to make their performance happen or give us an amp and some electricity and we'll make it work now, I've got one last question before our quick questions, and I have to ask this. I'm obligated. When you're speaking to a band and there are brothers in the band, now you guys aren't uh, actual brothers, you're band brothers, but there are brothers in this band. Are you worried that the brother dynamic may break apart this band? Is there a possibility <laughs> that the brothers will become the John and Yoko of the sheepdogs and that <laughs> the dogs will have to go in their, in their own direction? Not really, because uh, my brother and I actually have a separate project as well that we do together. So if anything, we're we're we've kind of proven that we're you know we we have a very much a big brother, little brother. I'm a big brother. He's the he's my baby brother. So we get along pretty well. I mean, there's plenty of other ways that this band could break up. <laughs> well, let, well, let's go over that. Name the top yeah. five ways the sheepdogs could break up. If the Stereos fans come for us on the message boards, yeah. maybe. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to hear that there is brotherly love in the band and that uh, that there's no no threat of uh, eminent breakup because uh, we love you guys. I'm speaking on behalf of all of Canada and all of music fans everywhere. We love the Sheepdogs and thank you for putting out something to hold us over till we can see you live. We'll be right back after this special message from us. Hey, Diana. Hey, Steve. Oh, boy, do I have an incredible product for today's ad. All right. I love it. I love that you're coming in hot here. Actually, for this one, it's better to come in cold. Okay. Well, now my interest is lukewarm. Fair enough. If you're a Canadian musician, it means you're definitely going to have to perform at an outdoor venue in minus 40 degree weather, getting pelted by snow, wind, and probably some well-intended beer cans. Whether it's the Grey Cup, Winterlude, or the Canadian Curling Bonspiel, if you rock out, you're definitely not going to want to with your... Okay, I, I think I see where you're going with this, Diana. Right. So why not protect your rock star physique with the Sheepdog's sheepskin shirt lined with actual sheepdog hair? You mean like the hair of the actual dog? No, Steve. I mean the hair of the actual band members from the Sheepdog. Have mm. you seen their glorious locks? When you buy the Sheepdog's sheepskin shirt, you can rest assured that you'll stay toasty warm because each shirt is lined with the carefully trimmed clippings from the band's hair, mustaches, and beards. 
And if you order now, you'll get a free scarf made from their very own chest hair. I, I actually like this idea. Do they also do pants lined with... Uh... Don't be gross, Steve. You started it. And I'm about to finish it. The Sheepdogs Sheepskin Shirts and Scarves. When it comes to dressing like a Canadian rock star, you don't have to mull it over. Well... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And now, back to the show. All right, are you guys ready for quick questions? Quick questions! Sure. Yeah. If you guys weren't in a rock and roll band, what jobs do you think you would be doing? Ryan, let's start with you. Something in marketing. Yeah? Yeah. I can I see think that. so. Doing? I'd like to do like sports, like maybe do like the highlights on TSN or oh. something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought you were saying you're going to be like a professional athlete. I'd like to do like sports. I'd like to do the sports. Yeah, maybe like. Maybe like the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, it's a good fallback to have. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say I would. I would also like to be. I would like to be a baseball player. That seems yeah. like a pretty good time. But... <laughs> okay, your music makes people feel good all on its own. Obviously, if you had to accompany your music with something, be it a food, a drink, or some other substance, what would you accompany listening to your music with? Ewan, let's start with you. I would go with like a, a nice ice cold can of lager or light beer and then like a little a little whiskey on the side. Oh, no it. food. I no you- food at all. Just going straight <laughs> for the alcohol. <laughs> I right. will agree with that. But the, I think the food side of it is uh, is barbecue. And uh, nice. you know, I think we definitely we, we often like to think that our music pairs well with, the, you know, both the 
food side of uh, of barbecue, but also just the atmosphere of people hanging out and enjoying the sunshine and and uh, camaraderie that goes around just hanging in a backyard. So I think that's both the food and the activity of barbecue, I think, pairs well with uh, with our music. A hundred percent. May I say Pilsner? Can I just say the brand name Pilsner? Because oh, yeah. I drank a lot of those last time I saw you guys and I am a baby. You talked about playing the Grey Cup. It was very cold back in 2013. The riders won it all. Tell those who might not know what makes the Grey Cup better than the Super Bowl. Ryan? <laughs> I think what makes the Grey Cup better than the Super Bowl is if you're Canadian, there's a certain, you know, patriotic thing that comes from having your own game. But I... uh quite know what Ewan's answer is so let me let him go ahead on this uh, okay <laughs> well I'm gonna be diplomatic here uh, you know what I like what's great about the Grey Cup is I got to meet Tom Hanks at the Grey Cup the same Grey Cup you were talking about in 2013 we're in Regina it's like I don't know maybe like two hours before the game and we're kind of hanging on the on the sidelines and uh there's a big mob of like press people cruising around and I'm like oh who are they looking at whoa there's Martin Short whoa Tom Hanks <laughs> Like, I hate going up to famous people and being like, hey, how you doing? But uh, he just came right up to us and chatted and was like, hey, I'm Tom. I was like, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Castaway, bro. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Tom Hanks was actually sitting near where I was sitting. And I saw many, many Saskatchewanians, Saskatchewans, people from Saskatchewan walk past Martin Short and past Tom Hanks to shake the hand. A Brent Butt. A Brent Butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that is what makes the Great Cup great is that no one, you know, most people would be there for the game, not to see celebrities, and the celebrity they recognize the most is the one from Saskatchewan, not the, you know, and that that is a great example of what makes the Great Cup great and what makes CFL <laughs> football great. And the hilarious thing is they're not even coming up and talking about corner gas. I literally saw a man come up and go, you worked at a, a farm with my uncle in Tids, Tisdale in 1984. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that checks out. All right. Yeah, that's great. Assuming that Saskatoon is the top Canadian city, what's your favorite non-Canadian city? New Orleans. Just it's so cool down there. Like the mix of cultures. It's American. It's got so much like European vibes. So music forward. So, so many different peoples down there, but everybody kind of loves each other for the most part. And food, 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 and booze. It's just great. <laughs> when you put it that way, it does make a lot of sense. Ryan? That's a good one. I'm going to go with Barcelona or just sort of like, it's hard to say because there's things about Barcelona that are like maybe a little bit more touristy than I'd like, but uh, really Spain. And for the same reasons, like the culture, the food, the sort of like atmosphere of, you know, taking naps and having dinner at 10 p.m. And, and you know, it's a really amazing culture and a really great place. Oftentimes we go on a European tour, we'll start in Spain and it's a great place to like get rid of a jet lag, your jet lag, because you just sit on a patio in a beautiful square somewhere and eat copious amounts of tapas and drink delicious wine and, and food. And it's really a great thing. So I don't know if it, Spain in general is for, for me is one of those places. Barcelona is a great example of that, sort of the great mix of history and architecture and food and just the overall atmosphere of Spanish culture is I like to live my life more like that for sure. If you guys weren't called the Sheepdogs, what were some other front runners for the band name? <laughs> well, we were called the Breaks at first, Breaks. which oh. was like, there was like a bunch of similar sounding names. So we changed. I like the idea though of, of people being able to say, what do you want to listen to? I don't know. Let's put on the brakes. <laughs> 
Yeah, hey, I used to play bass in the breaks. Oh, there it is. Uh, there you go. I, I actually did. Please just complete this sentence for me, and then we'll move on to your featured guest that you're bringing with us today. I don't want too much thought into this, just off the top of your glorious creative heads. Ryan, we'll start with you. The Canadian star system is blank. Off the top of my head, predictable. <laughs> <laughs> That's as good an answer as any. Ewan, yeah. Canadian star system is. I was going to say wholesome. That's nice. That's nice. Complete this sentence. Being the next door neighbor to the United States is like. A good barbecue every now and then, but just keep the noise down. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan? I was going to say like being a really good looking toupee. (laughs) (laughs) I like that a lot. Oh, that is solid. Those are both solid. Thank you so much, guys. We're going to have you stay with us if you don't mind, but we'll have you introduce the featured guest that you brought with us today. And it's up to you guys who who does the introduction. Our friend and uh, sometimes collaborator is joining us now. She is a, a great musician in her own right, either as a collaborator, as a solo artist, fantastic drummer, uh, often used uh, session performer, and just an all-around cool gal. Introducing our friend Danny Nash. Yes. Yes. How's Hi, it going? Danny Nash. Hi. Welcome. Uh, th- Good to see everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to to share more about you with the world. I have, you know, many drummer related questions. Oh, perfect. My girlfriend in high school was a drummer and it made me a lot cooler by association. So <laughs> what is it with drummers that you don't see many of them come out from behind the kit and be uh, the front person in a band or a solo artist? Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think maybe people choose that instrument because it's you're kind of hidden in the back and you can make the music and keep the beat down, but you don't have to be seen. But I like it equally. I like being up front as you know, as much as I do being behind the kit. It's a, a totally different ballgame for me. Whenever I think drummer or singer, I think of people like Dave Grohl, who kicks the shit out of his drums. I don't, I don't think his kit makes it through a, a tour, certainly maybe not through a song the way he plays. And then obviously fronts the Foo Fighters. Do you, when you, when you're out front, do you feel a tough time having to trust drumming to other people if you're on stage not doing the drumming? I definitely have to sort of hire someone that I really trust because I'm not picky, but I'm also, you know, you know, if, if I could bring the drums to the very front of the stage and, and do the whole show like that, I probably would. But I also like to dance and like, I want to move and I have to pick someone who I think, who I can just really trust. It's a, it's a tough one. Now, you guys have collaborated on, on a few things, and I always love talking to people that collaborate with music, because I don't know how you even choose it. There are so many great musicians, and I'm happy to hear that Canada seems to be pretty supportive of each other when it comes to collaborating. But how is it that you guys came together to collaborate with the Sheepdogs here? The first time that I saw the Sheepdogs, actually, was at the Dakota Tavern. This was before the big Rolling Stone debut. I think that we were on a double bill, or maybe maybe you guys were opening for us, which is a twist. Because <laughs> that wouldn't happen now. <laughs> but I was in this band yeah. called The Sure Things, and yeah, we were on this double bill, and that's how we met. And I was like, you know, just so into the rock. It was so badass. Ewan and I started working on a project together. 
I also played drums for Ewan's solo CBC broadcast or recorded show, which was really fun. The Ewan Curry show. The Ewan Curry show, yeah. yeah. That's right, the, which Ryan actually directed. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about venues a little bit, but I'm glad you mentioned the Dakota because the owner is actually a friend of mine that I grew up in London, Ontario with, Sean Kramer. And I had no idea he owned it until I went there one night and saw him there. And he's a great musician himself. And he gave this mm-hmm. amazing home to live music in Toronto. And I know, Danny, that you have talked about one of the things you're really looking forward to when things open back up, and I hope it's very soon, not only to playing to live Mm -hmm. audiences, but in being part of those live audiences and in supporting your local venue as much as you support your favorite artists and getting out there. Because without the venues, and we started talking about it with places like the Broadway and different places around Saskatoon, Without those venues to play at, the artists don't have a place to grow and nurture their talent. So Mm -hmm. how are you going to do that? Can you go out every night? Should I tell my wife, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for Canadian musicians and I should be out every (laughs) night? Yes. That has to be your your prime motivation for sure. I cut my teeth at places like the Dakota Tavern and the Horseshoe and the Cameron House. And I feel like I owe my career to those venues because without them... You know, I was playing like four or five times a night doing weekly gigs at all these venues. And that's where I was seen, where I was heard. And there's no there's no way I'd be where I am without those places. So we got to make sure they stick around. And I think that's like our friendship is a pretty good example of that, obviously, without having a place that we could come and play from Saskatoon and meet someone like Danny, you know, well over 10 years ago has become like a whole friendship and then eventually evolved into different collaborations, whether it's like musically or, you know, things that have come out of that, you know, in in the same way that Danny has got an opportunity to play with other people and also have, you know, people to support her and putting out her music all kind of grows out of that. So there's a whole community. It's no different than what we were talking about in Saskatoon, but those spaces are really important for that because you can only do so much if you're just in your house or in your bedroom making music. It's so much of, you know, Seeing somebody else that inspires you to be better at what you do is part of the development of the craft of music. Like you want to play with someone that makes you jealous of how good they are. It makes you go out and, and want to be better. But you also want to be like, you know, see someone do something that inspires you to, to, to do something else. And that, that's, that's a big part of music. Exactly. Let me ask you, everyone, about the Toronto versus other cities. And I don't mean to make it a competition here, but we're talking about Danny, if I'm, am I correct? You were born and raised in Toronto. You're Toronto through and through. Yes, I was born in Ajax, and then I moved to Toronto to go to school. So we've got representation from being born and bred in Toronto, and then we've got obviously Saskatoon Prairies represented. It seems to me that there might be a bit of a movement that it used to be you you had to come through Toronto if you wanted to have the opportunities in Canada, and now it seems like you can get your music out there from no matter where you are. And you might not have to come and relocate to Toronto because right now what Toronto is going through is it's a talent drain. I mean, it's so expensive to live in Toronto that a lot of artists, up and coming artists are having to move to other places, which is great for those places, I guess, but not great for Toronto. What would you say, and this is a question for everyone, to the artists out there listening who think who think they have to base themselves in Toronto for opportunities? I mean, it's tough because it's like, yes, you said the it is really expensive to live here, especially if you're a gigging musician where you're not making a lot of money and you got to get around town, especially if you're lugging gear and that kind of thing too. But there's way more gigs here 
there's just more of an entertainment scene. There is no comparison to Toronto anywhere else in the country. I mean, maybe Montreal has a bit of a, a you know a very vibrant art scene, but it's not the same. And and like I said earlier, Saskatoon has a good art scene, but you can't go and see as many places that have live music seven nights a week anywhere else in the country as you can in Toronto. Obviously, not under COVID circumstances, and like not just places that have music that have like you know some rigs of dad band playing you know covers of, of GNR or whatever, but like good like really good acts like. Danny mentioned the places that she's playing at. There's like credible, you know, quality music going on at those venues. So you can, you know, if you go in the Cameron house on a Monday night, you're going to see probably some good music and probably two different shows that night and even front and back and stuff. It's pretty important. I, I don't know if Danny would be able to, or a gigging musician would be able to do their thing anywhere else. But Danny, what do you, what do you think of, of that? Have you ever, a lot of people are kind of leaving leaving Toronto over the past year, artists and mm-hmm. otherwise. And I thought about it, but I do, I grew up, you know, in Toronto and I, it's home for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to leave it because yeah. I'm drawn to it, but I, you know, and the comedy is the same thing. There's great comedians from everywhere, but the, the place where there's opportunities to perform every night is Toronto. I'm just curious whether people still feel like they have to base themselves here for those opportunities or whether there are not quite equal, but comparable opportunities also. Yeah, I think what Ewan said, like, it's it's saturated, and it might be oversaturated, but the opportunities that happen here don't happen in very many places because of that. So I've I thought about it too, you know, I thought about going somewhere else and trying my hat somewhere else, but it'd be easier for me nowadays because I would be able to fly. I have enough, like, regular gigs and stuff that I could fly in and out. But I don't, I don't know, I just don't really... This is my home and it feels like, you know, I love the people. I've built a community here. I have relationships with every venue and every booker and every, you know, musician. So I'm quite content here. I probably couldn't afford to buy a house here, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to rent until I figure it out. Until this episode comes out, and then right, uh, the, that'll change oh, right. the star system. Yeah, not, yeah. I well, mean, I, I think the other thing to think to to think about, and this is a big piece of like, obviously, we come from a place where we would travel to Toronto all the time because it was sort of the center of it's where the industry is. It's where you know pretty much everything is based out of Toronto when it comes to the entertainment industry. But it's also the fact that this is you know Southern Ontario is where three quarters of the Canadian population lives and no different than, you know, the popularity of a place like California for people to go to, because there's just, you know, for us, it was like, well, we can come to Toronto, but we can also go to, you know, London and Windsor and all the surrounding communities. There's more people to play for. So if you're like hedging your bets on trying to get the word out there, you're going to get more bang for your buck in a sense by coming here in the same way. I think everything, a lot of things are based out of Toronto. And so I think there's always going to be that thing because there's lots of scenes in places, scenes in like a place like Winnipeg has a really great music scene and there's lots of live music and it's really affordable. Probably it is the most affordable city in Canada for someone to be a gigging musician. But inevitably, a lot of those people, if they're trying to like grow their music into like a, a business, into a successful career, they are going to need to travel inevitably. And a place like Toronto is going to be where you're going to end up. So I think that, you know, you look at places like, Los Angeles, London, New York City, Chicago, like all those places are sort of like hub cities for entertainment and are very unaffordable in a lot of ways. But that's just because there's more people that want to live there. But it doesn't necessarily mean that 
those centers that become void of it. It just kind of, I think in some ways it motivates people to work harder if they have to really hustle to pay their rent. So they have to try to do more gigs. They have to try to network harder. They're not mm. like super comfortable. And I think you, you see that oh, a lot in all different artistic communities is like when people are uncomfortable, better art often gets made because of that, because they're forced to just work a little bit harder too. <laughs> I'm a little worried Someone's going to hear you say that and then say, see, we're helping you. These taxes are making you uncomfortable. That's our contribution to the arts. I'm a little worried about that, but it's a good point. Danny, let's talk about your video for New Trend, which was directed by, let me think if I can see. Oh, Ryan. Ryan, you're here. You directed New Trend. I think everyone should watch that video. You guys talk about the retro timeless nature of Sheepdog's music and now this video you take us back you transform us back it's ironic because it's called new trend but it's a retro type video you bust out the aerobic wear danny it really <laughs> takes us back it's a workout and a video all in one i'll ask you first yes how, was that video as fun to make as it looked because it looked pretty fun it was so much fun we kind of had i well i came to ryan because i worked with him before and he's so talented with this kind of stuff we kind of put our heads together and just came up with this really fun throwback video. And the workout scene was my idea. And we had, we had to order some leotard. <laughs> I, I still haven't gotten my Amazon account back. My, my algorithm on my Amazon account is still very often ordering Danny uh, outfits for that video. <laughs> now, I got to ask you guys this. Our videos, it used to be a time when videos, you would watch them because they came on once a week or the, or MTV was playing the videos and you couldn't wait for it to come out. Nowadays, there's not so much the video channels as it is just you go to YouTube, there's videos there all the time. Are they as necessary as they were now to make a music video for every song uh, to get it out there or not? I mean, I think that what YouTube has become is sort of similar to what much music and MTV was in the nineties. It's, okay. it's a way to discover music. It's just so, there's so much more. So, you know, trying to get a video on much music in like 1995 was a really tough thing to do because you ha it's no different than trying to get music on the radio. Whereas YouTube has sort of leveled that playing field and it's given an opportunity. I mean, you've seen it with Justin Bieber was popularized through YouTube and you've seen it more recently with that. But it's an avenue in which you can kind of like promote yourself passively in a way, but also kind of control the way that you're, you're put out there. So, I mean, in, it's an interesting thing because like our, in our generation of discovering music, we were kind of at the advent of streaming in the form of Napster and it resulted in mm -hmm. us being able to discover music that maybe wasn't like just what was being played around us on the radio or somebody that we knew liked but we could sort of go down the rabbit hole of Napster and discover bands that we maybe wouldn't have discovered living for, you know, you and I's case in a place like Saskatoon. But in YouTube's the same way, I think it's so as a musician, it's a way that people can discover you and fall in love with your band without having to put a whole bunch of like assertive effort into it that maybe goes into trying to like sell out a show or, or, or grow your, your brand like that. So I mean, in the case for someone like Danny, it's like coming up with a cool video that's going to make her look real cool, but really sell, you know, that video really embodies like her personality and really involve, embodies who she is as an artist. And that's really important because that's like putting out there to people to discover Danny's music and then be like, Danny's incredibly talented in so many different ways. And it's all kind of on display there. And I think that's really important. And we've sort of taken the same road, you know, with Sheepdog stuff is that 
we want videos to be an extension of what we do because I think it is an, it, no different than having your song on the radio, having a, something paired with your song on YouTube is a way that people can discover you, but also like consume you and, and kind of like fall in love with what you do. What you're trying to always trying to achieve is have people be really into what you do. And Danny, how important is it for you to make a video for each, each new single that you have out to uh, keep establishing yourself as a solo artist? To me, it's, it's artistically important. I don't know so much if I, I wouldn't put a video out just because I had to. I think that if the idea strikes me, then it's like really important to me as an artist to, you know, fulfill that sort of fantasy. But, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of old school. <laughs> so like one or two videos, I'm like, okay, we've sort of covered that basis. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's play some shows. <laughs> old school. And you're friends with the sheepdogs? Weird. I know. So crazy. I wanted to talk to you about your album is self-titled Danny Nash, Danny Nash. When you do a self-titled album, I've always wanted to ask this. Is that because you didn't want to give the album a different name? You didn't want to choose one of the tracks? You just want to further reestablish your name? Or because some people do the self-titled albums and then some uh, have to think of a different name or, or just name it after one single on the album. I went back and forth with that because... I feel like I've sort of, you know, I made a country record like 10 years ago and I just, I don't really play that kind of music anymore. And I don't, I, I think that I've like developed as an artist and I wanted to sort of re-establish me as a front person, Danny Nash, like this is what I sound like. And then after the album came out, I kind of was like, oh, I should have, you know, named it something else, but I, I'm happy with it. I feel like, you know, my next album, I'll have a title because now we're sort of progressing <laughs> but i think initially Danny i was nash too i was exact <laughs> volume two or something yeah. yeah and you know my name's danny nash so if that's not a title cool, you do have a great yeah. showbiz yeah. name i have to say danny nash is a fantastic <laughs> name. and it, it's, it's better than you and curry that's for sure. are you kidding but you somehow make that work that's that's the yeah. coolness of you I mean, all know that I have the least cool name going on here. So, I yeah, but you have the most cool mm, chops, owls. so it all it all works out. <laughs> and uh, Danny Nash has to be written in neon. It just has to. That's the way it should appear. Yes, everywhere. of course. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Exactly. Well, we'll yeah. wrap it up here because we know everyone's everyone's got to get somewhere else. You guys are all busy. I'm just going to ask you the the last two questions that I asked the sheepdogs. The Canadian star system is fill in the blank. Unique. I like that it kind of went as a question at the end. Yes. You need? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. No, yeah. It, cer it certainly is. And being the next door neighbor to the United States is like? It's like a, a, a cousin that you see at a family reunion like once every five years. <laughs> <laughs> that was a unique Maybe answer. We've never had that. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a cousin that you you know you want to see every five years but you end up seeing every year and you're like oh it's like an irritating couple no i like it <laughs> let's talk about what's going to happen next so we can give it a nice uh a nice plug down the road it's difficult the last half of the year no one really knows but i know the sheepdogs have some tour dates set up for early 2022 anything for later this year yeah i mean i think we're kind of cautiously optimistic we have a few things that depending on when this comes out, may have already happened, but we don't really know exactly. So, you know, we're trying to do as much as we can, but not, you know, rush things. Because I think there's 
you know, some things that need to fall into place before people are going to feel comfortable doing, you know, being in clubs and things like that. So we have some things in the books, but I think 2022 is going to be the real tour time for us with hopefully some things sprinkled in this summer and this fall as well. Danny, what's coming up next for you? Other than, of course, we want people to pick up your debut album, Danny Nash, Danny Nash. What else do you have coming up? Well, I'm sort of in the same boat. I'm being cautiously optimistic. I've got a few tours booked in the fall uh, as a session musician with a few bands and then as well into the new year. And then after that, I'm going to try to play some solo shows, get on some festivals. Yeah, I kind of have some a bunch of work lost that I got to make up for. So the next few months, I'll be doing that for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think the whole next half of this year should just be called the Cautiously Optimistic Tour. And if you guys, uh, <laughs> need, if you guys need a comedian opener. That, that sounds like a tragically hip tour. That sounds like something that tragically hip. Cautiously <laughs> Optimistic. If, I mean, if, it's very strange because like you watch what's going on in the States. I mean, right now, I mean, they're basically fully open. Everyone's vaccinated for the most part that wants it. And it's, it's very strange to be in our position where there's just so many differences even within like neighboring provinces and, and, you know, when so much of what we do is traveling. And it's also weird because the beginning of the year had us both Danny and us scheduled to do a lot of things that just like when you're in music or entertainment, it's like things just disappear and they're, they're gone. And so you're forever looking forward to things. And when those things just disappear due to world events, it's, it's very challenging. So I think we all last year, if you would have said, are you going to be playing in 20, summer 2021? We all have said like, absolutely. So the fact that it's still sort of weird. I think has us all on edge to not want to get too excited because things could just disappear sometimes based on world events. So it's it's a little bit weird. We're uh, we are gonna all come out of this. We're gonna bounce back, and uh, everyone here is a big part of the feeling good that's gonna be on the other side of that. So thank you yeah. very much for joining us on the Canadian Star System today, everyone. And on behalf of Canada, please keep making the music that you do. And what can I say? Uh, I can't see you guys in concert again soon because I can't afford to have another child right now. But I will (laughs) absolutely be listening to your music Uh, as soon as you're live again. I I will be there. So thank you very much for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. The Canadian Star System is produced by Diana Francis and Steve Patterson in association with the Apostrophe Podcast Network. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit our website at canadianstarsystem.ca where you can find links to their work and their socials. Speaking of socials, you can follow at Canadian Star Pod and at Apostrophe Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Our editor and sound technician is Donovan Deschner of Fracture Ephemer Productions. Music by Mark Camilleri of Imagine Sound Studios. Special thanks to Terry O'Reilly, Debbie O'Reilly, Callie O'Reilly, and Nancy Patterson, who is an honorary O'Reilly. And since you're doing such a good job of listening to the credits, there's a bonus clip for you after Steve sings it out. So give it up for these good because our self-promotion sucks. And if they all went away, you sure would miss them. The Canadian Star System. I love it. I love the idea of a siesta. We should have a Canadian equivalent of a siesta. It's called a nap. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say, it's called called one too many afternoon beers. (laughs) (laughs) I have two young children, so I can only dream.